Beautiful. Choir, thank you very much for that gift of love to the Lord and to this congregation. Wow. It, it, it looks so good to see so many of you here. And then I know we have folks in Brown Chapel, folks watching all over the place. This feels good today. We're glad that you're here and we're thankful for the Lord's presence. Let's begin with the Lord's Prayer. And let me say while you're getting ready for that, if you haven't been able to make it back, you are loved, you are missed, and you are prayed for every day. And even if you've made it back, you've, you, you're loved and prayed for every day. Um, but we are so thankful that God is helping us through this difficult time. Let's pray, shall we? The words will be on the screen. And let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, <coughs> excuse me, forever and ever. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. And Lord, we open our hearts to the wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we say, come Holy Spirit, complete what you have already begun today. I'm asking that everywhere that people are listening today, that the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit would permeate into each of our settings, into each venue. We pray for your grace to do what we're unable to do. You told us that apart from me, you can do nothing. And boy, do we have evidence of that. But with you, all things are possible. So help us today as we try to learn a little bit about how to worry about 2021. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Now, if you could see my notes today, um, these were just printed out a few days ago, a couple of days ago, and I was going over them as my custom is. I spend part of Saturday night just refreshing my mind. These look like they have been uh, road hard and put up wet. They look horrible. Uh, not they don't look horrible. They look well used. It looks like this is about the 20th time I preached this from the same set of notes. The reason is that um, Jackson and I have a wonderful um, celebration and a wonderful tradition. Whenever he's with me on Saturday night, I let him go through and make any uh, edits that he would like to make. And uh, I have a caterpillar, I have a shark, and several other things. Last night was particularly wonderful because Bailey, our golden retriever, had been out in the yard and with all this rain she came in. Mama didn't know it, but she came in with mud all over her. And um, she just stepped over several pages. I have beautiful little paw prints um, on my notes. He said, Pastor, why, why are you telling us that? Because I started thinking that's the way 2020 has been. <laughs> uh, even the things that you feel God gave you have um, interesting scribbles and muddy paw prints on them. But uh, God has been faithful. He's seen us through all of this. And I want to talk to you today, uh, a message that's really on my heart, and it's how to worry about 2021. 
because you're already doing it. And I just want to be sure you do it right. Okay. Um, I'm not going to tell you not to worry because, uh, um, you know, it, 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 that's just easier said than done. Now there are some people that never worry. They're like people that have never had an ounce of fat on their body and tell you how to diet. <laughs> not, not, not only do you feel they don't have anything to communicate, but you, you want to hurt them. You, you really do. Um, so I'm not going to tell you not to worry, but I am going to tell you, Jesus had some instruction about how to worry. Now that might surprise you because when I worry, if you're like me, when I worry, um, I want the Lord to take away what is making me worry. That's my whole point of praying about something over which I'm worrying. Jesus, I'm worried about this. Take it away so that I don't worry anymore. But more often than not, he tells me how to worry. He'll talk to me about trust and I'll try to explain to him, I understand trust. I need a miracle. Um, I'm, I'm like the fella and I'm dating myself. Our younger generation will probably not even understand what I'm about to say, but I'm like the fella that just didn't have any friends. He couldn't get a relationship with a uh, a girl going and he just felt like he was a, he just didn't know how to communicate and relationally and be affectionate. So he went to a used bookstore thinking he might find something. And he, he saw a book, there it was, Big as Life on how to hug. And he bought it and took it home. And to his great disappointment, he had bought volume 13 of Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> just the word how to the word hug. Now, if you're laughing, it probably means you're older than you want to admit. The rest of you are catching on. Good. Loved ones, what I'm trying to say is it's not always simple when you deal with worry. You know what you ought to do and you know what you ought not to do, but it's easier said than done. And this is not a negative confession. Almost every time I say something like this, I get rebuked by someone. I, I think we're all born with different personalities. I have a tendency toward worry. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not proud of that. That's not my spiritual gift. It's been a lifelong battle to overcome worry. And I think I am so much better than I used to be. Uh, and I thank God for that. But I understand folks that have a tendency to worry. And I understand that folks like us need more than somebody just saying, oh, straighten up. God's good. Well, I know God's good and I know I need to straighten up, but the how is sometimes difficult. For nine months, you have largely lived from week to week concerning your jobs, concerning security, concerning the future, your kids and their education, your aged family. Sometimes we're not able to get in to even see them uh, and care for them because of res restrictions. We've been under attack, many of us, in regard to our health, our future. We come to church and we're the hugginess church in South Carolina. And we don't know who is hugging, who's not hugging. And we, it, 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 nobody's at fault. We just, we're in an uncertain age. We're a church that believes not only in, in hugs and fellowship, but we believe in the laying on of hands. And we've had to work through how do we do the ministry of the spirit without that basic laying on of hands and praying for people in the altar. And this has been a rough nine months. It really has. Um, 
It may be a little bit like a spiritual pregnancy. I'm not sure, but maybe the baby's coming. I want to encourage you. Um, I want to encourage you, loved ones, especially those of you that have faced such difficult times, because I know you've not had all the support groups that you're accustomed to having. And I understand that. The, the pastors are frustrated. We're not able to do what we normally would do. And you aren't able to do what you normally would do. And I want to encourage you to finish this tough year well. Um, I am so proud of you. I want to encourage you to continue to hold on. Uh, there has been a shaking and God promised a shaking. And you saw in the video, we're going to have our uh, long emergency update January uh, 3rd, 3rd, that Sunday night. Um, we've been talking about long emergency for 12 years and we've been saying that tough days are coming. So we shouldn't act surprised when they have come and we shouldn't act surprised to know that days may be uh, ahead of us that are difficult, but God's God warns us about all of these things so that we survive. And you know what he said about the shaking? He said, there is going to be and has been a shaking that will shake everything, everything that is shakable, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It'll all be shaken. And the purpose is that everything that is shaken, uh, uh, that is unshakable, let me back up and say it another way, the way scripture said it, so that only that which is unshakable will remain. God has allowed the church, he's allowed our nation, he's allowed, I think, our homes, our families, and as individuals, we've been going through a shaking, but it's not to destroy us. If God wanted to destroy the church, it would have been done a long time ago. If God wanted to destroy you, it would have been done a long time ago. But God is shaking us so that everything that is peripheral and needs to be shaken off will be shaken off. And that as we go forward to the days ahead, only that which is unshakable will remain. Now, you say, well, pastor, okay, you're talking like we're coming to the end of this. Well, we're coming to the end of the year. And, and hope never shines brighter than on December 31st when we can turn that page and get a fresh start. But I don't know that January 1st is going to do away with our worries. Uh, we still have a lot of uncertainties. We don't know about the virus. We don't know about our country. We don't know about um, the economy. We just have so many question marks. So we're disappointed, some of us in leaders or in institutions, maybe even in denominations and churches. So we've got a lot of worry but what I believe God is trying to do, and this is the heart of this message today, please hear me. God is shaking every one of us so that we understand we live in a world of two camps. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. Um, when I say two camps or two realms, it goes back to Genesis 32. When Jacob was heading back toward home after years of self-imposed exile He's going back to his mother and father. He's going back to his estranged brother. And he has done so, not only is he concerned about what he's heading into, but he's concerned what's breathing down his neck, an irate father-in-law, you know, that feels he has robbed me of my daughters and robbed me of my grandchildren. So he's got an angry man behind him and an uncertain future ahead of him. And one of the amazing things that happens right there is he goes 
to his to, to bed that night, and all of a sudden he sees a camp of angels. And he realizes, not for the first time in his life, he understood it the first time way back at Bethel when he was first starting his sojourn and his running away. He slept at a place that would be called Bethel where his pillow was a rock with maybe just some padding on it. He had nothing and no promise of anything, but he saw a a stairway to heaven And he said, God was in this place and I didn't even know it. Now, loved ones, it's one thing to understand that way back long time ago. Oh, I wish Jimmy Swaggart would run another campaign or I wish so-and-so were still alive or I wish we could go back to those days because I saw God. I saw angels. I saw a stairway to heaven. And we love to think about what God did. But when we get surrounded by angry people and by uncertain people, we tend to forget that God showed us that there are two realms. And so God opened his eyes and he saw not only his uh, possible enemies, certainly sources of disappointment, but he saw that angels were all around there. uh, And he named it Menahaim or the place of two camps. He said, I've got to remember and loved ones, you've got to remember. I've got to remember every day of your life. You live in a land of two camps. You live in what we see and you live in what you cannot see. And we have to remember and become persuaded like Paul that neither death nor life, angels, demons, nothing, not even death itself can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And that's why we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. See, and it's always there. You say, well, if you'd gotten the letter I got this week, you wouldn't say that. Or if you had the physical condition I've got, you wouldn't say that. I understand we all have our troubles. We do. I'm not minimizing that. We all have difficulties. And what seems small to one may be huge to another and vice versa. But we've got to learn like the servant of Elisha did in 2 Kings chapter 6 where he went outside and he saw that they were surrounded by the Syrian army and Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see that those that are for us are more than those that are against us. And the Lord opened his eyes and he saw that though they were surrounded by the army of Syria, the army of Syria was surrounded by the armies of heaven. So loved ones, when I talk about how to worry today, what I'm trying to tell you, um, and hear me, we've got to understand we live in the land of two camps and we can't, I mean, we have to pay attention to this world. I'm not telling you to go stick your head in the sand. Um, You know, whenever we've talked about long emergency or difficult times, people don't want to hear that. They say, oh, God's going to take care of me. I I confess that Jesus is Lord. Nothing's going to touch my life. But the Bible says that the wise person sees danger that is ahead and takes action. Uh, it's It's not lack of faith to realize there's danger. It's not lack of faith to realize that there are difficulties. It's lack of faith to forget that there are two camps. And that there is a heavenly perspective as well as an earthly perspective. And um, we, need to, we need to be reminded of this, this what I call a, a refrigerator quality scripture. 
It, it's, it's so popular, we put it on a magnet and stick it on our refrigerator. I mean, it's that powerful, but all things work together for good to those who love the Lord that are called according to his purpose. And, but we've got to remember that that's for his people. That's not for the world. That's not for unbelievers. It's for his people. Now, with that in mind, now that you're thoroughly ready for the message, let's get into it. Um, uh, da, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to read from Matthew chapter six. That is why now Jesus had just given them a lecture about the power of God and trusting God. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? In one of the other gospels it said, or can it add an, in our culture an inch to your, to your stature? Um, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and see how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now, I want to talk to you very quickly um, about six things to remember when you start worrying about next year. Okay. Um, and I want to explain the difference between legitimate concern and taking thought is how it's used in the, in the King James. Um, six things very quickly. Number one, when you worry, take thought. Remember that God does not approve. Jesus says, why do you do this? Why do you take thought? Now, we've gotta, I've got to say this, and we'll talk more about it later. Taking thought was not meaning plan for tomorrow. Jesus wasn't saying, why do you plan for tomorrow? Of course you plan for tomorrow. And that's not a negative thing. I bought life insurance 45 years ago, thoroughly intending for the paper to rot before I ever needed it, you know. Uh, but I wanted to be sure that if the unthinkable happened, my family was cared for. Okay. I wasn't worried about that. I don't lay awake at night wondering that I'm going to die. I just say, you know, this is a possibility. Things happen. So I'm going to make plans. That's not what Jesus was talking about when he said, take no thought. In the King James world, uh, there were people that were made ill and even died by taking thought. So we understand that contextually, that when, when Jesus was saying, take no thought in, in King James English, what he was saying is don't cave into anxiety. Don't cave into anxiety. He wasn't saying don't plan well. He wasn't saying don't take precautions. 
He was saying, don't let the what ifs of tomorrow eat you alive. He says, don't do that. So when you worry, remember God doesn't approve. Number two, now thank God he loves us whether we get it or not. Thank God that he doesn't give up on us. We give up on us a long time before he ever would. But number two is when you worry, remember that you are underestimating your own value to God. Now we understand these things intellectually. I know I'm worth more than this created world. I know I'm worth more than this, that, or the other. But it's one thing to know it intellectually. It's another thing to take a deep breath and believe it. It's another thing to take a deep breath and believe it. Okay. That's like when you know someone loves you, you don't go around wondering, well, what if, what if she finds somebody better looking? Now, in my case, I've never had to worry about that, but <laughs> what if, what if she, what, Hey, for those of you that are, this is your first service with us. I am kidding. I am kidding. Um, uh, or, or you don't go around wondering, well, I know she loves me, but what if somebody can come along with more money? What if somebody can come along with more security? What if someone comes along, and doesn't have the problems I've got or the baggage I've got? You may know intellectually she loves you, but life's a turmoil because you're not convinced in your heart. But, but when you're convinced in your heart that you are loved, you realize they love you warts and all. And you, you realize that we've made covenant together and I'm not perfect and she's not perfect. Um, uh, somebody told me one time, said, Pastor, the only person I've ever known that's perfect is my wife's first husband. That's the only thing I know. But that's not even true. That's not even true. That's just a scarred memory. But what we need to remember is that when we are at our lowest and we think we are the biggest, most abject failure imaginable, we need to remember that God loves us. And that's why I tell you about every other week, there's nothing we can do that will make him love us more. And believe it or not, there's nothing you can do to make him love you less because he loves us perfectly all the time. Number three, when you worry... Remember that it is an absolute waste of time. Jesus said, when you worry, you can't make yourself an inch taller. You can't add a day to your life. Worry doesn't add money to your bank account. There are, we can change the circumstances of our life. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talked about people that were in an unfortunate circumstance. Some of them were in an unfortunate marriage. Some of them were slaves. And Paul gave this bit of advice. He said, if you can buy your freedom and get out of slavery, do it. He says, anything you can do to better your life, do it. But this is what he said. But if you can't, then remember that even if you're a slave, you're the Lord's freedman. In other words, he says, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with changing your life. If, you, if an education will help, do what you need to do to get an education. If moving will help, do what you need to do to be able to move. He says, but if all else fails, remember that at your very worst situation, you are there in God's love and care and he will take care of you. Okay. So it's a waste of time. None of my work. Now there are things I can do to improve my life, but worry's not one of them. Number four, when you worry, remember that animals even seem to have more faith. Even animals seem to have more faith. Number five, when you worry, remember that that is the mark of unbelievers. That is the mark of unbelievers. 
Um, I, I like the phrase, it's, it's haunting. He says, these kind of thoughts dominate, or these kind of ideas dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. When, when, we, when, when, we, when our worry goes from legitimate concern to obsessive, compulsive anxiety, we take on the language of unbelievers. We begin to talk as though we're people that have no hope, no faith, and no expectation. You say, well, that's not true. I know, but we begin to speak their language. I remember we were trying to get out of South America. We had had all kinds of little issues, and we just wanted to get on the plane, get out of South America, and come home. And we, uh, we were going through the line, and I'm coaching the kids. I was a youth pastor then. And um, uh, one, of our, one of our youth sponsors, an adult that was with us, who was very dark, and, and her complexion, she looked like she might be from uh, the country, from, uh, of a Hispanic background from the country we were in. And um, I didn't think anything about it. That was just, that, that was just her. And, and then she had been trying to speak Spanish all week. And when she got up there and they asked her a question, instead of saying in good Alabama English, yes, she looked at him and said, see, sí. you know, and I thought he looked at her like, do I let you out or not? You know, because she had forgotten her native language. She had forgotten how she normally spoke. And if we're not careful, we'll speak the language of another land. We'll speak the language of another culture if we're not careful. And here's number six. When you, when you worry, remember it removes your focus off the things that really matter. He, Jesus said, now, now you got to get this. Now you, you really got to hear me. Jesus didn't say these concerns were illegitimate. But this is what he said, they shouldn't dominate your thinking. They're second or third or fourth. He knew they needed to be taken care of. He said, seek first the kingdom, then all of these things will be added to you. He didn't say seek first the kingdom and then you won't even worry about these things. He said, no, these things are important. You need to, you need to be sure your children are clothed. You need to be sure your children are cared for. You need to be sure that you provide, uh, you know, a, a roof over your family. All of those things are legitimate. He says, but don't let them move to first place and become anxiety. Put God first and then everything else follows. You say, um, somebody, a preacher friend, there's nobody in church. I wouldn't embarrass you if somebody in church. But they said the other day, I just long for the 80s when faith was just as natural as taking a breath. Back in the 80s, we had faith. We were prosperous. The churches were growing. And I'll tell you, there was a, the 80s were a prosperous time for a lot of people, not everybody, but it was a prosperous time for a lot of people. But, you know, after that conversation, uh, I thought, you know, we wasted a decade of God's providential outpouring on stuff. It was about bigger houses. It was about better cars. And my apologies to everybody that sent me an email last couple of weeks ago when I talked about Kias. A Kia is a wonderful car. My apologies. Uh, I didn't realize how many it, it, people were joking when nobody was upset. They were just joking. Saying, I drive a Kia. You know, I didn't know we had so many Kias in the congregation. I just couldn't think of another little car, but uh, I should have said Edsel. They're not even around anymore. But um, I, 
I, I tell you what I think we've done. I think we did it in, in, in the charismatic movement, and I think we did it in the third wave revival. We have, we, have, we have emphasized faith as we ought to, but we've wasted it, we've prostituted it, and made it about stuff instead of about trust. And I think God is sending an outpouring of the gift of faith. I think he is teaching us to have faith, but it's not going to be wasted by this generation on stuff it's going to be spent on pursuing him and knowing him and loving him and serving him. Now, God can always give us stuff. I've lived with stuff. I've lived without stuff. And I have a real strong preference to live with stuff. There's nothing wrong with stuff as long as stuff stays in its place. There's nothing wrong with concern, Jesus says, as long as you don't let it rule your life. Put it over here and he'll take care of it. Now, we're, we're, at, the, we're at the end we're at the, the Christian life lessons. That's the good news. Bad news is probably my Christian life lessons are as long as the introduction, but, uh, but we'll try. Let's try to settle three or four time, uh, things before we dismiss today. Um, the first one, I think we've pretty well covered. Here's number one. Wise planning um, or, or is, is, is not worry. Taking thought is anxiety. Okay. Taking thought is anxiety. Uh, as I said, in the day of King James, when people were said to be sick or die from taking thought it, it, in our culture today, it would be they're obsessive, they're compulsive, they're, they're worriers, they're in deep anxiety. It's an unnatural, unhealthy, unjustified level of worry. Okay. And Jesus says, don't live that way. Don't live that way. Um, number two, I want to say this, and this kind of gets, begins to get a little tough for some of us. Worry is usually a choice. You say, you know, I can't help it. I know what it's like to say I can't help it. I know what it's like to honest before God feel like I can't help it. But I tell you, I think the vast majority of the time, not all the time, you know, you don't need to show me your prescriptions or anything like that. Because I know there are exceptions and I know there are legitimate issues that we have. I'm not talking about that right now. But generally speaking, I have found that worry is usually a choice. That may be why Jesus chose that carefully worded phrase, don't let your heart be worried. Don't let your heart be troubled. Do not allow it to become afraid. At least on some level, Jesus says the worry that brings anxiety, the worry that brings you sickness, the worry that robs you of faith, you have to learn to not let it in your life. Now, I'm just talking to a segment today. I understand that. Um, David would ask this question in Psalms 42 and, and 43. He said, why are you in distress, O my soul? Why are you so worried? And some have said that was just a poetic way of saying, don't worry. You know, why are you worried about this? I, I, I mean, it's, it's certainly a poetic cry. But I think it's also a call for us to ask some hard questions when we're in distress. And, and I've had to discipline myself when worry comes. I have to ask myself, why am I worried about this? Is it, you know, I can't even think of the name of the movie, but Will Smith and his son. Um, they made more than one movie then. Uh, this is when, when they land on, a plant, on, on old earth. After earth. Yes, I knew that. 
Will Smith says something, and, and he, he's not a theologian, but he said something that a lot of us need to learn. After earth, I've got to remember that. Um, this is what he said. Danger is real, but fear is an option. Danger is real, but fear is an option. We have to ask those questions. Why are you in distress, oh my soul? What is the real reason? Am I not trusting God because I carry baggage from a father that let me down or a, a spouse that let me down? Um, is there a sickness in my body? I want to tell you, when you're battling sickness, it, it, it doesn't just affect you physically. It can affect you emotionally. It can affect your thought process. I don't mean you're crazy. I'm just saying it can shade everything. And sometimes people give up when they're sick, not because the sickness is necessarily terminal, but because it has just worn them down so long. And I know I'm speaking to people today that have been unable to get to church over the last nine months. And it's because of a battle you're fighting physically. We pray for you. I want you to know I pray extra for you and we're believing God for you. But we also know that you have another level of battle that some of us might not even be aware of because that thing that's attacking your body can also rob you of hope. It can rob you of joy. That's why the Bible says that a merry heart does good like a medicine. Now, we, we've used that to make people feel guilty if they didn't have a merry heart. It's not a condemnation. The wise man wasn't saying, shame on you, get a happy heart and you'll feel better. No, it was just an observance of life. When good news comes, when joy comes, it's like medicine to your body. <coughs> and it's like a tonic to your soul. And we need to understand that sometimes we're down because we're just sick. I, one of the times I acted the most indecisively and the most poorly as a leader, and I just couldn't decide what to do. Um, the, the, the man who was my ministerial supervisor, I said, I'm sorry. I just, I, I said, I'm just not thinking clearly. And he said something that wasn't an excuse. It set me free. I was just a young man. He said, when you're sick, you don't think straight. He said, when a man's sick, he doesn't know what he wants. He says, you go home, let me handle this. And, and that was like life to me. It was like, I'm not a failure. Okay. Grief can do that to you. The loss of a loved one can attack you on that level and it can make you sick physically. We are spirit, soul, and body. And all of those three components are connected and they can affect each other without us even knowing about it. So that means we also have to ask the question, is there unbelief in my life? Is there unbelief in my life? Am I just refusing to believe? But now, loved ones, I want to tell you what we're all in danger of. And I see this more than I see any other single thing with somebody that struggles with worry. Somewhere along the line, for some reason, now again, I know this could be offensive. It's not my intent because I'm speaking to a segment, not to a whole. But I find so often that we have just simply made up our mind we're going to worry. And we say we go to counseling or we say we want prayer, but in reality, we don't want counseling because we're not intending on doing anything that the counselor says. And we don't want prayer. We say we do, but we have no intention of letting God help us. We have just adopted a mindset and we've all done it at one time or another where we just say, I'm, I'm not going to change the way I think, but I just want you to know how miserable I am. We've all done that. 
And, and loved ones, we've got to understand that worry can be caused by physical problems. It can be caused by emotional problems. A, a, a perpetual worry can be a chemical imbalance. And, 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 and Christians, let me, let me go ahead and say what I started to say. Um, but, but we need to understand, there's a note here I do not understand. Oh, that's Jackson's. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> we have got to ask ourselves, maybe one of the first questions is, do I really want help? Do I really want, because the Bible says that we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed. And how does it say we're transformed? By the renewing of our minds. We've got to start operating our thoughts with it. And I'm not talking about this hocus pocus, name it and claim it stuff. I'm talking about a genuine change of our mind where our default is to the word of God. Our default is to scriptural wisdom, not to what the world says and not to what our flesh says. We've got to now, not every time, but a lot of the time we simply can't get free from worry because we've made up our mind. We're not going to pay the price. Here's number three. Uh, that wasn't as popular as I'd hope. So let's move on to number three. <laughs> Worry can often become a stronghold in the life of a believer. Now, a stronghold is defined as a flawed belief system. Strongholds, Jack Taylor has taught us this through the years. Strongholds can be either of the flesh or they can be of the spirit. Um, that's why um, in the Bible, some of the same activity in one passage of scripture is called fleshly. In another passage of scripture, it's called demonic because it can be either one. If it's fleshly, it's a flawed belief system. Strongholds may be defined as untrue attitudinal default mode or as a rut in our minds. You know, if you've been on an old dirt road that's been traveled so much, there are generally two ruts. And in some of them, the ruts are so bad, you can just let go of the wheel and your car will act like a horse heading to the barn. You know, it'll just stay in those ruts. And, and all you have to do is give it the gas and it knows where to go. A spiritual stronghold or a stronghold of the mind can be the same thing. We've just been told we're worthless for so long. We've been told we can't break this for so long. We've been told we're not loved for so long. Whatever we're told has just been such a part of our lives that it's our default mode. Okay. Um, in these cases, the oppressed person needs a transformed mind. And we're going to talk about how to do that in just a minute. As I said, it's not just confession alone, but you've got to come up with a different thought process. My mom died um, a few years ago. The cause of death was pneumonia and a broken hip, but she had suffered for years, first with dementia, then with Alzheimer's. And it, it, I want to say this for those of you that are struggling with a loved, one's, a loved one that maybe has Alzheimer's or something like that. It can be frustrating when somebody forgets something or somebody doesn't remember something. And I, I tell you what I did for two years probably is try to get my mom figured out how you can remember. So I'd give her, I'd give her these lists, I'd give her these things. 
Molly was, when my mom came to live with us, was just a, a, I think a junior high girl. And Molly was so thoughtful. She would, she would turn the radio on 40s music because she know, knew my mom loved that when we were in the car, Sirius XM, go to 40s. And she put signs on every room of the house. Mama, this is the bathroom. Mama, this is your room. This is my room. And just, we, we did everything we knew to help her and none of it registered. And finally, somebody told me something. They said this, you can't help her remember using things that help you remember. If she could follow your instructions, she wouldn't need you to remind her. I said, what do you mean? And the doctor said, she reasons from a totally different world. You can't apply the wisdom of your world and expect her to get it. You have to move to her world and communicate with her from her world. And that was the most difficult thing, but it was also the thing that helped her the most and, and dealt with our frustration best. I just, want to, I just want to tell you that from somebody that's walked through what some of you are walking through right now. But I also want you to understand this. There's an application to be made from that in the spiritual realm. You cannot keep the old mindset and walk in spiritual victory. You've got to operate from another mindset. And um, we'll talk about that um, in, in, in just a moment. You need a transformed mind. Um, the second thing I want to say under number three is that strongholds can be the result of sheer physical illness wearing us down. Elijah, Elijah has been preached about as the, as the mentally ill prophet because of the depression he wrestled with. There's not a sign of depression in Elijah's life at any other time. I mean, he was living on the edge so much so that birds had to bring him food and he relied on a little stream for water. Then when God moved him from that, he had to move in with a widow and her son who lived out of this much provision a day. So you, you've got you've to understand, Elijah wasn't psychotic. Elijah wasn't mentally ill, but he was so exhausted. He had been in such a spiritual fight. He was so physically tired that he was exhausted physically, so much so that the Lord said, the best thing you can do is sleep. You know, there's a lot of spiritual victories that are won with about eight or 10 hours of sleep. There's, there's many a yellow-legged chicken that has won spiritual battles for preachers through the years more than just about anything else. But he was so, and he was so depressed from the strain of serving the Lord. And some of you are depressed from the strain of this last year. He said, I am the only one left. I want to tell you, if you are feeling like you may be the only one who's got it right, don't give in to that. Nobody loves me. Don't give in to that. The church doesn't care about me. Don't give in to that. We're all going through the tough place. The, the people that he said have abandoned me were living for the Lord, having to hide out in caves. He not only wasn't alone, he had the least oppressive circumstance than any of them. But it can bring you down. It can cause you to not think right. It can cause you <coughs> to think your family doesn't love you. It can cause you to think your church doesn't love you. 
It can cause you to think that those that would give their very lives for you don't care anything about you. You've got to understand that strongholds, faulty reasoning can be the result of physical or illness or spiritual trouble weighing us down. Now, let me give you the third thing here. We've got to hurry. Strongholds may be caused by our own body's chemical imbalances. Uh, I, I'm a fourth generation Pentecostal and I tell you the world I grew up in, the world I grew up in is if you're, if you're full of the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues, you don't have issues. Now I will say this, if you're full of the Holy Ghost and talking tongues, I think you got a lot less issues. Uh, you know, I used to laugh at that, but I'm about to think there's more truth in it than we knew. But at the same time, I want you to understand we live in a fallen world with imperfect bodies. And I want to say this, I, I know people will criticize me for this, but we need to drop the stigma of someone needing medication. We need to drop the stigma of someone being faithless if they have to take something for their physical bodies or they have to take something to correct a chemical imbalance. It's not a sin to take an antidepressant. It's not a sin to take something that helps you navigate these treacherous currents that can uh, be a result of chemical imbalances or, or something like that. And I want, I want to tell you, um, I, I, know, I know of many people, many people that need the help of medication. They have prayed, they have fasted, they've, they've tried to cast out. They've done everything they know to do and the, and resolution has not come. And I want to remind you of something that came from the words of Jesus. It's the sick that need help of a physician. Now I know I'm taking that out of its context in half a statement, but I, I want to tell you sometimes the best thing you can do for yourself is to go fill the prescription. Sometimes the best thing you can do for your wife or your husband is go fill the prescription. Now, I'm not trying to speak down to your faith. I'm not trying to destroy your faith, but I'm trying to tell you a lot of us are fighting battles with one hand tied behind our back when it's not necessary. And I'm going to move on because you're getting more and more tense as the, as the sermon goes on. Now, let me give you the last thing. Strongholds may be the result of demonic oppression. Uh, a pill won't help you. Uh, just positive confession won't help you. Sometimes they are the result of demonic oppression. I want to say this, don't allow yourself to get into fringe teachings that are not confirmed by scripture. We have run to crazy teachings. We've run off to, to seminars. We've run off to clinics. We've put our trust in this person or that person. Um, and all it is, is, is pop theology that's not rooted in scripture. And we don't want to get into fringe teachings that are not confirmed by, by scripture. It, you say, well, not everything that helps us is found in scripture. Then let the people that are teaching it say so. Let them say, this is not what scripture says, but this is not contrary to scripture. And I have found in my life, this helps. There's nothing wrong with that. But we have people that have created whole systems and whole formulas of this, that, and the other for healing or deliverance, and there's not a thimbleful of it that's found in Scripture. This may be the result of trauma. You may have gone through something that absolutely traumatized you, and, and it's, it's created... A, 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 
just a negative effect in you. Um, and I say this in quotation, generational curses. I do believe in the power of generational curses, but not everything is a generational curse and not everything that happens needs to facilitate a generational curse. But, um, Sometimes there's sin in our life that we're just unwilling to deal with. All of these things can produce strongholds in our life. Now, in these cases, the stronghold may need to be cast out. If it's demonic, we may need to take authority and drive out evil spirits. I also believe there are times that it's not that the enemy needs to be cast out. I think the enemy needs to be crowded out. I think sometimes you just start doing what's right and the fruit of what was wrong goes away. Sometimes we need to renounce things, but either way, a transformed mind is required. Now let's go to the last thing. Worrier of, worriers of all kinds need a transformed mind. Here's what I would tell you to do. And, and, and it's, it's not something that can be resolved with a prayer at the altar, although that can be a good start. Create an arsenal of scripture and positive thoughts that you can draw on in times of battle. See, uh, the, the word of God is, is, is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And there's a phrase there that few people seem to understand. It says that it's able to pierce and divide between soul and spirit. In other words, the, you, you and I are one unbreakable triad, spirit, soul, and body. But the word of God is so powerful that it knows how to get in and separate my soul from my spirit and my spirit from my body. It's so powerful, but you've got to get in the word for the word to work. It's like going to Montana and saying, oh, I, I love this fresh mountain air. And you open a mason jar and get a jar full of quart of fresh mountain air. And you bring it back to uh, 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 an urban area with air pollution and every day you just open it and say, I'm going to get a fresh breath of, of air. You're living on something in the past. You're living on something you got Sunday. You need to be in the word. And I want to tell you something. There's, there's something out of balance in our lives. If we spend more time on the prophet's website than we do in the word of God. That's why there's so much confusion. People that have no responsibility for the church and oftentimes do not walk in any kind of accountability, leave dead bodies everywhere they go. And we keep going back. Kick me again. Kick me again. Kick me again. That's not true of every website. I know that. Good grief. I know that. There are websites I, I go to regularly because they're encouraging. But loved ones, I want to tell you, I've made it a rule. There will be no influence in my life that outweighs the time and energy I put into the word of God. Okay, let's go. The second thing, and you see in parentheses, put down, put up, put on. When we talked about how to have a good day every day, that we put down the adversary. We know what he comes to do, to kill and steal and destroy. So we need to put that down. We need to put up the affirmation of scripture. This is what God says. And then we need to put on the armor of God. Let me give you a second suggestion, okay? Get your arsenal together. Stop your recitation of the problem. Stop your recitation of the problem. Remember the lesson from Joseph? We'll talk about this in, in a few weeks as we move into the new year. But Joseph uh, introduced his two sons to his father. And the, the, the name of the, it was Manasseh and Ephraim. 
And the, the name Ephraim meant fruitful and blessed. That was his second son. But the name of the first one meant to forget, to forget. And he explained it. He said, I named Manasseh Manasseh because God has helped me forget the misery of my time in Egypt. And the second son is God has made me fruitful. And loved ones, I'm not trying to give you some hokey formula, but I think Joseph understood something basic. Before we can really begin to enjoy the fruitfulness of a blessed life, we've got to let go of the past. We've got at least redeem it. At least redeem it. <coughs> Here's number three. Stop agreeing with reasons why you can't stop worrying. Yes, you can. And if you can't, there's a pill that'll help you. Okay. Number four, don't lean on the arm of flesh unnecessarily. Now I'm, I'm a processor. That means I need to talk. I, I, to me, I don't think things out. I talk them out. And as I talk them out, it becomes clearer in my mind. That's, I'm not trying to be funny. That's probably why I preach so long. That's just the way I process truth. It's through words. And, um, and I know that God bless my wife. God bless her ears. God bless them. I love them for 41 and a half years. They have been a blessing to me because she's enabled me to, to, to process verbally. But I, I have learned with increasing alertness that even though there are some times I need to talk, most of the time I need to listen. And so I don't lean on the arm of flesh unnecessarily. Number five, ask God for a specific plan of action. Lord, how do I deal with this? Lord, is this something that needs to be cast out? Or is this something that I need to crowd out? Or is this something that I need to conform my mind around? Now you say, well, I'm like, hey, let's cast it out. That's fastest and best. Well, let me explain something to you. You cannot cast out the flesh. You cannot cast out the flesh and you cannot disciple demons. So you've got to decide with the help of God, what do I need to do? What am I dealing with? Am I dealing with a demon or am I dealing with my flesh? And I'll tell you this, it's far easier to deal with demons than it is flesh. We think it's the other way around. So we run to the deliverance line only to find out we can't cast out ourselves. And I want to ask you one final question. Are you seeking relief or do you really want release? The average Pentecostal church is full of people in the altar, but they want relief from their battle, not release from their bondage. I was in a group of men that were, all of us had testimonies of profound deliverance and all of us were in, I think we all felt like we were in a, honored to be asked to be in a very elite group. And as we went through this meeting, God put on my heart and he said, I've got a word that I want you to give. And I, I, I sincerely said, Lord, I, I, I'm in over my head with these guys. I don't, I, I'm not worthy to give a word to these guys. Um, it's like one time I had a chance to go to Vietnam and teach a pastor school. And it's the only mission trip I remember that I've, that I've declined. I've just said no. And I'll be honest with you. The reason I declined and said no is they told me that I would be teaching a hundred pastors, all of whom had done prison time for Jesus. And I said, I am not worthy to speak to these men. I have nothing to tell them. These men have lived out what I've only preached out. 
And that's the way I felt at this meeting. I said, Lord, I'll do it, but I don't, I don't feel worthy. He said, I want you to tell them. And he gave me a number and it was about two thirds of the number. He said, all they have done is traded their old cell for a bigger cell with more comforts. All they have done is gone to a halfway house. They're not free. They're relieved, but they're not free. And I said, I said, Lord, I don't, I don't know how to share that word. And I, 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 when I did share it, it was not well received. It was not well received. But loved ones, I have, I have learned. Now, I, I want you to hear me. And this is the most controversial thing I'm going to say. And um, then I'm going to run. Uh, in, in Matthew, um, I think it's 14 and 15. There's twice in that, those chapters where one time it says that the hearers were offended at Jesus. The second time, I think it's chapter 15, I think, his disciple, Jesus, talked about really having true faith. And Jesus, the disciple said to Jesus, you do know, I love the way NIV puts it, you do know that the Pharisees were offended at what you said. And no pastor likes to offend his flock. A pastor loves his flock. Uh, in fact, whenever you find somebody that takes great pride in skinning them alive and hanging them out to dry, you know, and taking great pride in that kind of anointing, that, he may be an evangelist, he may be a prophet, he may be something, but he's not a pastor. And this, this is very difficult for me, but I expected Jesus to say, you know, as a pastor would, well, I didn't mean to offend them. I didn't mean to hurt their feelings. Tell them to come in, we'll talk through it and explain it. But you know what Jesus said? It, 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 it's terrifying. And listen to me, I'm not saying this to you. I'm saying this as a principle. I mean it, I'm not saying it to you. Jesus said, every plant that my father has not put in place, he will pluck up by the roots. And he said, on that day, they will be cast aside. And loved ones, I'm going to tell you, this has been a rough year. And one of the roughest dynamics of this year is trying to hold the flock together and try to, try to soothe everyone that's offended. And trying to soothe everyone that thinks this is the way or that's the way or this is wrong or that's wrong. It's been an impossible task. And several people will take note that a few weeks ago, weeks ago, I don't know how many weeks ago, we had a breakthrough service where we just kind of said, this is what we are. We're not this, we're not that, and we're going to go forward. But can I tell you, the, the, I carried for weeks, I, I, I don't want anybody hurting. I don't want anybody bleeding. I don't want anybody offended. And the Lord spoke to me so clearly. And I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not seeking applause. I, I'm just telling you, the Lord spoke to me and says, you cannot survive under the strain of making everybody happy. Now, I got to tell you, he didn't say you're right about everything and they're wrong about everything. He says, you just can't survive under this strain. He said, this will put you in an early grave. So this is what you've got to understand. Everyone has the choice of wrapping themselves in a fence or moving on. 
And loved ones, I, I'm not talking about offense with me. I'm talking about offense in the land. I have, I have seldom heard more complaints about what God is doing or not doing in the church world. And this is my concern as a pastor. I, I'm so proud of you, but I'm concerned that there are some that have just decided that your mantra and your name badge and your identity from now on is going to be your offense. Why, your hurts and your pain. And loved ones, I know your hurt is real. I know your pain is real. But I can't take away your pain. I can't produce some omni-climate where every opinion fits and every theological posture fits. All I can do and all we can do as a church is try to follow the Lord and try to follow what he said. Now, here's my point that I'm trying to say. I'm not saying, oh, if, if, if you don't agree, you need to go. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. As we move into 2021, I think we need to understand that the Lord has allowed 2020 to happen in all of its glory to shake the hell out of you. I don't mean that. I'm not cussing. I'm not cussing. I mean the hell that is in us to shake out of us. You can't make it from Sears to Dillard's carrying all this stuff. Well, pastor, I'm worried. Go back and listen again. I'm done. Just go, go back and listen again. Loved ones, I love you. But one of the most terrifying things I've read in the last year is the passage where Jesus said, how do you deal with offense? You move past it. Because if not, if you choose to camp in your offense, it can, it can result in you being plucked up. I don't, I don't know that in that case, I think Jesus might've been saying to the Pharisees, you, you'll end up in hell. That's not what I'm saying about the church, but I'm saying this. Some of us are so foolishly thinking that we can walk in the blessing and power of God, holding to old stuff, holding to a wrong grid and a wrong paradigm. And I know that you want me to say something else, but I'm going to tell you, this is the best thing I can tell you. I'm telling you this because I love you. You got to let go because none of us know how to help you anymore. None of us know how to carry it anymore. We, we're, we just don't know what else to do except follow him. Jesus, speaking of another group that was offended, Peter said, Lord, everybody's leaving you. And Jesus said, are you going to leave me too? And Peter looked around and said, where would we go? Where would we go? Loved ones, there's an old song, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's not I've decided to follow the assemblies of God or I've decided to follow Stephen. It's I have decided to follow Jesus. And we've got to understand that he is the restorer of our souls. That means everything in you that's broken, he is the restorer. Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. If you'll allow me a moment to pray for you, then we will dismiss you. Father, I pray for everyone that's listening online. I pray for them first 
because sometimes it's more difficult to respond when you're in a group of two or three people. Sometimes they feel so alone if they're just watching by themselves. I pray for people online first. And Father, secondly, secondly, I pray in the name of Jesus for those that are here in Brown Chapel in the main sanctuary. I'm asking for the Holy Spirit to come and settle upon us. Come and settle, Holy Spirit. Father, we have not had service as usual for nine months. It's not, uh, today I sense a breakthrough in our worship. Today I sense a breakthrough in our climate and I'm so thankful that, not because of my preaching, it was before the preaching. But Lord, I sense you are breaking us out of the restraints that we've had for these few months. And I believe one of the things you're going to do, you're, begin to, you're going to begin to show us whether we're online or in person, you're beginning to show us the power of the Holy Spirit to meet us where we are and set us free. Father, every one of us needs a transformed mind on some level. Every one of us needs to set, be set free from anxiety on some level. Father, I could pray for a half hour over every individual case that we've talked about today, but this is what I ask you to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. I ask you to set something in motion right now, right now, the touch of the Holy Spirit to set us free from our anxiety. Lord, if it's just bad habits, give us a battle plan to get out of our bad thinking. Lord, if it's due to physical fatigue from fighting sickness. I ask you to do two things, Lord. I ask you to bring the healing power of Jesus, not only to the sickness, but I pray for the healing power of Jesus to settle upon the damage, the residual collateral damage that has been done to our souls and to our minds to our process of thinking, set us free. Lord, all you have to do is touch us. That's all you need to do. We ask for the touch of Jesus. And we ask you to heal the physical affliction. Father, we pray for those that have just, for years they've been more comfortable in their worry than they have in the pursuit of freedom. Help us to become very uncomfortable with our worry. Help us to become very uncomfortable with our worry. Help us to understand that it has not served us well. It has not produced life. Don't let us be a slave to what we think any longer. Don't let us be a slave to what we think we know any longer. But let there be a greater truth, a transitional truth that changes our mind so that we're no longer conformed to this world. Set us free in the name of Jesus. Father, and all of this begins with an acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord and Savior. If we've not done that, help us to make that initial step today. Either coming forward during this altar time or calling the number that's on the screen and getting somebody to pray with you. Father, you, this is a day, this is a terminus You've, you spoke my heart. Today's a terminus day. This is where we've all come together and now we're going to change some directions. Our services are going to be more powerful than they've been. The presence 
and the prayers of God's people is going to have a fresh anointing on. Small groups are going to have fresh life. Come, 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 Holy Spirit. Come now, come right now, come right now. I know we need to let you go, but I encourage you just to continue to pray continue to worship. If you are in Brown Chapel or here in the sanctuary and you want prayer, I ask you to come on just right now, just stand and come on down to the front and our ushers will take you out to the prayer area. We want to pray for you. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think in Jesus name. I love you. God bless you. Come on now. We'll be glad to pray with you.